Hey, this is Doug Utberg, host of the Terminal Value Podcast. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsis. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Hey, listeners, welcome to today's episode. Great to have you with us here again, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Doug Utberg, and uh, he has come from the corporate career uh, and in the tech industry, and then all of a sudden, he was no longer in that role. Doug, a big welcome to you. Thank you, Dennis. It's lovely to be here, and I really appreciate you bringing me on the show. So, uh, so yeah, let just kind of jumping into uh, <clears throat> to you know, as I say, my um, you know, my my Marvel character backstory. Um, mm. Because you know, for anybody who is a superhero nerd like myself, every character, whether it's a hero or a villain, always has some kind of backstory that makes them who they are. Uh, so, anyway, the way that my backstory goes is that I was about twenty years into a corporate career. Right, I was in the technology industry, came out of undergrad in finance got my MBA, uh, right? basically did everything exactly the way that a good Gen Xer like me was supposed to do it. Uh, you know, was, you know, right through college, managed to get through with no debt, um, you know, got into a corporate job, got them to pay for the MBA, bought a house, bought a car, bought a bigger house, you know, kid, bigger house, another kid, all that stuff. Um, and so, but then 20 years in, what had happened was I was running the program management office for uh, another tech company. I'd actually switched from one role to another, but that's fine. Um, and then uh, one day, we the, the person who hired me he uh, he elected to do early retirement. Which for people who are not uh, who are not familiar with corporate life, anytime somebody says early retirement, that means that somebody was paid to leave. Uh, that means they were told, okay, you don't have a job here anymore, uh, but if you leave right now, we'll give you money. Otherwise, you get nothing. And people say they're going to take early retirement, and then half the time they end up going and doing something else. Okay, so my the guy who hires me, Dick's early retirement, uh, new chief, new CIO, chief information officer comes in from the uh, Silicon Valley, uh, San Francisco Bay Area. And, you know, he was around for about a month or so. We kind of, we started doing the, hey, everybody's dialing, everybody's dialing into the meetings. And then one day I get a 30 minute meeting on my calendar with about an hour's notice and no subject. And I go, okay, well, this is weird. Okay, whatever. I, I log in. And then he says, well, as, as you know, we have budget constraints. So your position's being eliminated today. And so then HR comes on the line and says, all right, so we are sending a severance package to your personal email, and we're going to be FedExing out a box for you to uh, pack up your laptop and send it back here. And then shortly after that, about three to five minutes, my network access was cut off. 
So April 20th, 2020, I'm now unemployed, just like 40 million other people in the U.S. And so, you know, after that, I ended up putting in somewhere between three and 400 job applications, ghosted, nothing. I think, you know, after a, you know, after a rather elaborate string, I think I ended up going through two interview cycles uh, with pretty major companies. In both cases, I got close, but not close enough. And it's, this is one of the things that I, I just think is so funny slash broken about the way that traditional interview processes go is that, like, for example, there would be a requisition out there for a finance manager. I go, okay, I'm one of 150 people who apply. I go, okay, well, so they decided to talk to me. I go through three rounds. They're hiring two people, and I'm like number four. I go, oh, sorry, you didn't make it. You're out. Okay, why did you go through all of that effort? <laughs> I mean, because if yeah. you're getting people down to, like, a, say, a top eight, top ten, and they've gone through that many hoops, chances, and you're a big company, which it was, there's some place in your company that they can create value. Why are you wasting all of that time in screening people just to say, oh, sorry, you didn't cut, you, you didn't make the cut, you're off, get, get back, you know, go, go back out on the street. Uh, but anyway, you know, neither here nor there. Uh, what I ended up doing after that was, I really kind of sat down and thought, okay, um, I'm, you know, I can either keep doing this because eventually I'll find something. I can keep doing this, but wherever I end up, I'm going to be looking at three to five years to prove myself. Because anytime you go to a new company, new team, whatever, it's going to take a few years for who, whoever the major decision makers are to really trust you. You know, like people, they'll, they'll give you some assignments. You'll have a few things here or there, but it's going to take years to really get someone to where they trust you enough to where you'll get major responsibilities, which is what makes you ascend. So my thought was, okay, if I'm looking at, if, you know, if my clock is set for three to five years anyway, I might as well spend that time putting something together on my own. And I may make it in three to five years. It may take longer than that. I may go through a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of heartache and gymnastics, all of which have happened. Uh, but I was like, okay, I've really always wanted to do my own thing, but I've been terrified by the idea of losing my corporate paycheck. I go, okay, well, the corporate paycheck is gone anyway, so let's just figure it out. Um, and so one of the things I ended up doing after that was I uh, ended up starting out an expense reduction consulting business. And so the uh, the, sh the the upshot there is that what I do is I work with companies to reduce their contract-based expenses. Uh, and I do that on a success fee basis so that there is no upfront cost, which is an awesome business model. The flip side is that it the uh, the lead time for negotiating uh, for renegotiating contracts and then um, you know and, and then billing for savings is extremely long. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know that was one of those things where you have you know if you're going into this business, you either need to have an enormous cash position or you need to have some kind of side hustle uh, that uh, that generates more immediate income. Which is where I got into where I'm at. My other side hustle I'm doing right now, in addition to my podcast uh, called Terminal Value, uh, which is uh, uh, I'm also doing uh, business development for an IT recruiting and managed services company. And so what all of this kind of uh, kind of works its way into, oh, and also I, I'm also working with uh, two pre-revenue startups uh, in terms of working with them on uh, putting their business model architecture together and uh, figuring out how they're going to be uh, financing and structuring, uh, structuring their capital deals. So but what all of this really turns into is that my life kind of went from a 
okay, there's a corporate, there's a corporate track, you know, put money in your 401k, save so that at some point you can stop working and be able to pay to essentially do nothing for the remainder of your natural life to now I'm on an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey of juggling as many balls as I can possibly imagine, uh, and interviewing people for my podcast and then figuring out how to pivot my way to, uh, you know, to a successful business, which may or may not look like what I'm currently doing. Yeah. Well, what a start, listeners. <laughs> Doug, that's awesome. So three to five minutes and they cut off your internet. That's the, your access there. That's, yep. you know, to the organization is crazy. Um, and I thought, oh, how many years ago would have that been? But that's only been recently. Um, yeah. Doug, what's, you, you shared some really cool things here in the sense of transitioning from the corporate world into, say, your own business mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, how long after you left that corporate role to you actually starting your own business? How long did it take you? Um, that was about three, four months. Okay. And those three, four months, that transition, I find that actually quite fascinating, that period of time for a lot of people mm-hmm. because yeah. there is so much that goes through people's minds, right? How did you find that transition? Well, at the um, of course, right. The, the the part that's really difficult is that you know when you're you know when you are not engaged in some sort of employment for which you're being paid, there's it's, you know there's a tendency to feel like you don't really have any value. Yeah. Um. You know. Now, of course, the you know do, doing my own thing now. One of the things that I keep thinking back on is how okay. I'm like I spent a whole lot of time being paid as a corporate employee, irregardless of whether what I did that day created any value or not. Because you know, one of the first things you learn when you're running your own business is that a there's no such thing as paid vacation. Right. The, the the only way that anything happens is if you do it. Yep. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the whole notion of, OK, yeah, you know, I'll do uh, I'll, I'll just barely do enough for today and I'll knock off early today. And uh, OK, you know, I'm going to go out on a vacation. Um, OK, yeah, you can do all those things. But by the way, any time that you are not investing, you're not making money. Yep. Um, and so I think there's the, uh, you know, as, as they would say, right, there's the, uh, you know, the, the, the hunt, kill, repeat uh, is the, you know, that, that is the way that life works, especially as you're in the very beginning of running a business. You know, as you get more mature, you can start implementing processes, you start getting staff, all that kind of stuff. But when you're starting out, right, you, you, you have to go through what I call the swamp. And the swamp is you, you start at one edge and say, okay, I have a business. And then you have to get to, oh, hey, I'm able to pay my bills. Those two things don't happen at the same time. Um, And so what ends up happening is you end up having to kind of meander your way through the swamp of figuring out, okay, how do I either get financing or or get or bootstrap and side hustle or figure out how to, you know, how to finance my business to the point where the revenues that are coming in are adequate to pay, you know, my business expenses plus living expenses, plus hopefully something additional. You know, that doesn't happen on day one. Yeah, you're right. And totally right. And I and I think what I talk about, you know, how you're saying about the value, I actually think that for me, it was more about a lot of people, they, they don't belong to something anymore. And for some of them, that's their whole identities around that role or that organization. And that's not who they are. But the thing is, no. they think that's who they are. And they no longer belong to something. And so that transition is hard. It takes a different mindset. You're calling it the swamp as the thing, but it does take yeah. a different mindset to go through it as well. Because I think the big thing for a lot of people is that first month of not that salary dropping into their bank account, that's where they go, whoa. And they, they feel like, oh, now I'm out here on my own, um, which is really quite interesting. Now, Doug, today we're going to be talking about leadership and changing and so forth and things yeah. like that. Um, how did you get into leadership? 
Well, and so for, for me, uh, I, I, I think of leadership as something that you do. And particularly, I think of leadership as if you inspire people to follow, that is what makes you a leader. That is yep. utterly irregardless of what your, uh, of what your position is. And so I've had a, you know, a, a, fair, a few positions in my life that were, quote, leadership positions. But I've been leading people ever since I was a, you know, 12, year old, 12 years old in Boy Scouts. Um, and so the way that I think about leadership is really about creating a vision that people want to follow and then being the example leader for that vision. And, I, you know, incidentally, you're talking about changing leadership. I think that is how leadership is changing. There is a kind of, you know, I'll call it a baby boom Gen X model of leadership, which is really bad management, um, you know, and, you know, which is basically that, right, there's, there's authority, you do what they say, what they say, you don't ask questions, you conform, you, you know, you can have your own, own ideas, just make sure to keep them uh, to yourself. And then if you do that for 40 years, you should get a pension retirement. Um, I think that model is basically, it's not dead everywhere yet. It is dying fast. And by the time millennials hit, you know, hit middle age and are like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? It's going to be over. Um, and so what I think all, what, what I think all that really comes to is that the, um, you know, kind of the uh, the compliance based career model, I think, is on has a is on a really limited time frame, and it only really exists, frankly, because of I think government entities and large corporations that have enough enough of a revenue base to where they can overcome the inevitable blunders of their management decision making. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And I remember the older days they used to call uh, when you came to retirement. You got a dead chook and and a gold watch, right? And say, here you are for your retirement. Um, but it's all changing so much. Uh, absolutely is. Um, and so here's a question for you now. This person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Mm, that's such a loaded question. Oh, let's see. Um, I mean, I think the, you know, like, like a lot of, a lot of Americans will have a tendency to, to give a hackneyed example like Abraham Lincoln. And I mean, there's a lot of things to admire about Abraham Lincoln, but I'm actually going to go, I'll, I'll go political here, but I'll go uh, a little different. And I actually really admire George Washington. And, but there's a unique reason why. And the reason why is because he gave up ultimate power twice. Uh, the first time was when the revolution was over. Uh, basic, essentially, you know, they, they said, hey, we won the revolution. Um, okay, you know, we, we need somebody to, be, somebody to be in charge. And they basically said, hey, hey, you know, can you essentially be the person who's in charge of the whole com- country? He said, no, I did not just overthrow George V to become George I. And so they had the Articles of Confederation. It was an enormous disaster, constitutional convention. They decided they wanted to elect a president, and he was elected president. Okay, he served out, served out two terms and then said, all right, you know what? I don't want to be a permanent, a, you know, I don't want the presidency to be a, you know, an imperial position. I'm stepping back. And so essentially he had two chances to essentially have unquestioned ultimate power and walked away both times. I don't know of many people now or ever who would do that. Well, I think that's, that's leadership, right? When you know it's the right time. In fact, I think the, a leader is that person who says, I don't want it. Um, and then people come back to them. It's where you find other people who, who are like a little dog with their tongue hanging out because they want that title or they want that yep. thing, and they're not really good at it. Um, the New Zealand Prime Minister, not the one we've got now, the one before that, a guy <laughs> called Sir John Key, he, into his third term, 
uh, a year out from actually the elections, he actually resigned and said, yep. it's, I've done what I've been, I've been here, I've done what I've done, and it's now time for someone else. And, you know, he was a multimillionaire in, in a business sense anyhow beforehand, and he did this to serve and, and give back to the country. Uh, yep. But he did his time, and then he, he had his successes, and he stepped away to allow them to, to, to go through it. And um, But I think George Washington, great example. Thank you for sharing yeah. that, because I think no that's, um, that is what, to me as well, I think that's what leadership is about. And and handing over the power, right, and um, and saying because he's not actually wanting the power, he's actually there to do a role, and that's I think is the, the the big difference. That I think in in terms of a mindset is what leadership is really about, which is leadership is not about being in charge. Leadership is about creating value. Yes. And if you're really going to be a value-based leader, or as I like to say, a value-obsessed leader, what that means is, you know, if you are, if you do hold a position of authority, at some point you will reach, you, you, you will reach the point where it is no longer creating net value for you to continue in that position of authority, yep. at which point you need to be finding the right person to transition it to. Not that many people are really... Not that many people, A, think that way, and if they do, are willing to actually do that. Because, like, for example, it's since both of us have been in the corporate world, we know how hard people cling to holding on to their turf. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they want to make sure that, that nobody is usurping their ground or taking their scope or, God forbid, um, you know, God forbid you know, that, that they get – that new headcount gets allocated to their team instead of somebody else's. Yeah. And I always say, people say to me, oh, I don't want to do that because I might tread on their toes. I'm like, don't be silly. Go and tread on their toes because if they're not, if, cause they're not doing it, they need a little bit of a wake-up yep. call. And so, and then there's that turf, that, that kind of argument happening. Yep. Hey, um, if you were to have a coffee with George Washington, the mm-hmm. two of you sitting on a park bench somewhere, what would be one question you might want to ask him? No, oh, that's such a good question. Um, the the main thing that I would say is that okay, so he had to go through a lot of situations where he probably just wanted to kind of curl up in the corner and die, right? Whether it's the the winter at Valley Forge, whether it's trying to deal with the um, you know, with stitching all these colonies together into some coherent government. Um, and so w- what I really want to know is, as you're going through all of that, how do you kind of keep your mental balance? How do you maintain your mental sanity? And then how do you kind of keep that resolve to go forward you know because the the thing is when you are leading right you know you want to be authentic but you can't project fear otherwise other people will catch that and it'll multiply and so you know so what what you end up having to do is you end up needing to hold a lot of your insecurities on the inside um you know which if you don't ever express those to anybody is extremely unhealthy but if you're trying to lead a movement you have to do that you know you you know you can't just let your insecurities out everywhere because otherwise your your movement will fall apart whatever it is that you're trying to do will just die and so i think that a, a big part you know, at least to me is figuring out how do you, you know having that internal uh constitution so you can effectively do that without becoming an enormous mess and that i don't know that that's still something that i think is is not fully appreciated um you know because like there's a lot of people who can hold their insecurities on the inside and they tend to be very cold and lifeless there are a lot of people who can who can figure out how to deal with their insecurities and they, you know, and, but then there, you have a tendency to kind of wear your heart on your sleeve and then you, it gets very hard to, uh, to lead a movement. What's really hard, at least in my view is to know, right. You know, when do you, when do you project strength for your people and when do you become vulnerable? Because, you know, you can't just go one way or the other and you have, so you have to know when do you oscillate between the two. 
honestly, I, you know, that, that is something that I need to be much better at. That is one of many things that I feel I need to be much better at. But it's a really good point that you make about the, the things, the fact about being a strong leader and having that strength while also having the balance of being vulnerable nowadays. Um, because I think there's a lot of leaders who don't have that mental balance. They they do lead, wear it on their on their, their emotions on their sleeves. Well, they lose it. In fact, for some of them, they're actually instilling fear into people in the organization, country, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think that's not good enough. We don't want mediocre leadership. We want leadership that is going to be strong and have a balance of vulnerability. But being really at the end of the day, the way I look at it as well, and I think you've you've touched on the word authentic. I actually think just be real, just be a, a human that everyone can relate to. Um, you won't be able to relate to everybody, right? I mean, not everyone's going to like. Yeah, and at, one of the things, at least that 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 I was just thinking about as you were talking, is so I think when, when I think authenticity, what I really, what I re- and I think that is absolutely a hundred percent right. And because I think if you're going to be a real authentic leader, you need you you need to be extremely real about the challenges you're facing and about the constraints you're looking at. Because now, like, for example, you know, I'm a, I'm not a big fan of Jack Welch, but I'm, you know, I, I respect what Jack Welch did. Uh, but there's one of the things he he kept saying that just always graded me every time I heard it, which is they say, he said, you'd say some, some nonsense, like leaders need to see around corners. Nobody can see around corners. The only people who say you need to be able to see around corners are people who at some point guessed and were right. What they never talk about is all the times they said something that you know they, they either overreacted or underreacted. Nobody knows the future. And anytime that somebody says, oh, look, I predicted this and it happened, I guarantee you they're ignoring the thousands upon thousands of times that they were dead wrong about something. Nobody can see around corners and anybody who tells you that they can is lying. And that to me is the, the leadership bombast is the one thing that needs to change more than anything else is people trying to act like they have some kind of special gift. You don't. Nobody knows the future. Um, and there's kind of this, this, I don't know, I guess I would call this BS cult of leaders who, you know, who like, okay, you know, so, you know, somebody has some position of authority for five years and then they write a book that sells 10 million copies and everybody says, oh, they're such a great leader. How do you know that? You don't know that, you know, just just because somebody had a title doesn't make them a leader. And I think that, you know, that's if there was one change I could make and I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself. But if there's one change I could make, it's to break the BS leadership cult, because I think leadership is the most important thing in any organization. But it's also the least common factor of, uh, you know, of all people who come through anywhere. Most people who have positions of authorities are not leaders. I love it. I think it's awesome. And Doug, um, you're spot on there. There are so many people out there with titles who are not leaders today. And they never will be, to be honest, um, unless there's a few things that they're going to change. And I think you know, it's really, really spot on. And I know that there's the emotion there from hearing from your voice about it because yeah. it really means something, uh, listeners. It's really important for us because today people are looking for a leader that is going to be authentic, it's going to be really strong out there. And, you know, they do, as you say, have problems and constraints and there's all these things too. But we're going to have to go out there and do do really well. And we want world-class leaders. We don't want yes. mediocre. And we deserve better. Um, and I think I'm not even going to ask you that question at the end, which is going to be about the five years from now, because I think you're spot on what you just said there. There are some people who think they know, but we don't know. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. 
we do know that there's fundamentals. We do know that there's certain things that we need to do. Now, Doug, you covered it. You touched it on it a little bit earlier, uh, which was around leadership is changing. Mm -hmm. um, you talked a little bit about it. But that's the name of the show, the title here. Is there anything else you want to add to it, um, what it means to you about leadership is changing? The, the way that I really think about leadership now is that, you know, I, I mean, I've always thought of leadership as more about inspiring followers. Um, but it's, you know, but of course, right, you know, I, I when I, when I was in the corporate realm, I had a tendency to think of it as being more tied up with authority. And as, you know, as I'm going through my current, you know, my current life stage, uh, the, to, to me, the thought of positional authority has absolutely nothing to do with leadership now. And I think that's really, that to me is the real change of the future is that leadership and positional authority are not related in any way, shape or form. So you do not need anyone's permission to be a leader. The thing that defines whether you are a leader is whether people want to follow you. And the thing that defines whether you are a good leader is whether you are actively trying to create continual value for the people who are following you. And if you just kind of hold those two things in your mind, you will have a really hard time going too far off the rails in one direction or the other. Yeah. And I think that's what our roles as leaders is, is to do those two things. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so you and I are living in a world and, you know, you, you're working in the technology industry as well, um, even though you're coming from more of a financial perspective and costs and things like that. Yeah. We've seen that life is getting faster all the time. And uh, whether it be data, technology, social, business, mm -hmm. um, it's getting a lot faster. What makes a leader successful in today's world in that fast-paced, ever-changing world? Uh, the, the the thing that I think is, and I've actually been thinking about this a fair bit lately, the thing that I think is a really critical factor is that at, at some point, you have to feel confident that you've you've done the highest priority things, that you know what needs to happen next, and you can just package up whatever's on your mind and put it on the shelf and focus it on one thing at a time. Um, because if you, you know, there's, you know, the, you know, the old David Allen, um, you know, getting things done is that, you know, you, you, you have to get all the information out of your head. Well, in, you know, in 1999, maybe you could in 2022, you can't. And so, you know, essentially what you have to really be able to do is you have to be able to trust the systems and people that you have enough to where you can just ignore all the noise in your head, channel it out and think about one thing and then go back to, you know, then, then go back to all the other stuff that you had to do. Because if you, if you don't develop that skill, if everything is always running around in your head, you will be distracted all the time and never really be all that effective. Again, you might have a position, you might have a title, you may get paid a whole lot of money. You won't be that effective. And I think that's that at least that, that that to me is where it really comes down to because if you are a real leader, you should not care about your position, title, or how much you get paid. You care about how effective you are. Because if you yep. are a really a leader, you cannot stop yourself from creating value for other people, irregardless of whether you get uh, get full, fairly compensated for it or not. And I think that's a that's a real point of differentiation. Yeah, it is. And there is a lot of noise out there and we do face it all the day, all day. And, and um, I really like what you say, trust the systems, trust the people that you have around you. Uh, and, By the way, putting that together is no small task. No. <laughs> it is no yeah, small task. Very easy for Doug and Dennis sitting on a podcast yeah. to talk about it, but it's not actually easy to do. But when yes. you do and you see it happening and you're adding value and, and that's the thing that you're doing, because at the end of the day, it's about results. If we can get the results... Yes. We can add value. That's great. There's nothing sweeter 
than seeing that actually come together and actually playing out. Um, and when it does, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yes, completely, completely. Now, you and I have both been employees, and uh, we know of people who are employees today. Has employees' expectations of leaders changed? I think uh, so. I mean, of course, the the obvious answer to that is yes. What I'm really thinking through is how to articulate the you know the, the way to articulate how, um, and the the way that I think about it is that so I think in the past employees were kind of content to essentially get their paycheck, do their job, and then just roll their eyes at the leader's nonsense. Um, what I think is happening now is when leaders spout nonsense, people. They're not content to deal with nonsense anymore, and that's why we have the great resignation is because a lot of people, they're just not okay with, you know, with, with more business as usual, with more people spouting nonsense. You know, I think that your know, leaders actually have to inspire people and back up what they're back up their words. They have to walk the talk. And, and if they don't and pe- people, by the way, Everybody can see through that. If you think you're clever and that you're, you know, that 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 you you deftly dodged all the hard questions, you didn't. Everybody can see through you. Everybody can see through that they, they they know everything, all the questions you didn't answer. They know the stuff you didn't want to deal with. People can tell. And I think that what's happening is that people are just at a point where they're like, hey, like I'm not okay. I'm I'm not happy with just collecting a paycheck anymore, uh, for a couple of reasons. I think you know, a people are fed up with it, and b in a lot of cases, people can make just as much, if not more, money somewhere else, and they don't have to wait that long to go do it. You know, now I think that at some point the labor market's, market's going to stop being tight, and this phenomenon may um, may reverse. But I think it's actually fairly permanent. I think people are kind of tired of the BS, and I think a lot a lot of that I think is coming from you know say like people in my generation. I'm going to say our generation because we're of a similar age. Uh, you know, kind of grew up with the okay, well, you know what? It's really important to have a good job. It's really important to have a secure career. You know, and you know, and and it you know, and you know, if you don't if you don't consistently bring bring back that high level of income, well, that really means you're a life failure. And it's like, well, why, why? And you know, I think I think a lot of that really comes out out of a scarcity mentality that emerged from the depression. You know, that had a huge impact on my parents, which had a huge impact on me. You know, kind of, and it gets progressively lesser as we go on. But the thing that I keep thinking about is, I'm like, okay, you know, why am I so uh, so concerned with having a corporate job? You know, and what it really comes down to, in my view, is I think it's that feeling of external approval, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, I have a job. Somebody else says I'm important. Okay, well, you know that. Why don't you say you're important? You you should say you're important. If you say you're important, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You know, if you feel that what you're doing is meaningful, if you know that you are providing value, then it shouldn't matter to you what someone else says. You know, if you you know if you're in a transition and you're not making any money, there's a tendency to think, oh, I'm worthless. No, you're not worthless. You know, if you keep figuring it out, if you keep pivoting, you will get there. It may take a while. It may take a disturbingly long time. Uh, you know, I go through an exercise. You where you know I, there's a lot of people I follow who are tremendously successful. So every day when I go through my feed and like their posts, I I I, in, I encounter fits of jealousy over the success they have that I haven't achieved yet. But you know, j- just because you you're not sitting on a pile of money doesn't mean you're not creating value. 
And I think that's probably one of the hardest mental hurdles, especially for people of our generation to really come through, is because we all equate how much value you create with how much money you get paid. But there's a lot of people who create tons of value and may not make a, ton, a lot of money. And there's people who make a ton of money that don't generate any value. See, Gene Xs do have energy. <laughs> yeah. Doug, I love what you're sharing there. Um, you know, uh, I love your energy. And um, what's really quite interesting is when you go out networking or you're out at an event, not going out networking, but at an event and you meet somebody, or what do you do? And then they tell you what they do. And they tell me this title and I go, huh, what the heck's that? I have no idea what it means. And and what do you tell people you do? <laughs> because I struggle with that. I, I have about five or six different balls that I'm juggling at any one time. Well, I, I, I just tell people that my role in life is to be a really great partner, dad, but more important, I'm not more important, but also is the fact that I'm there to add value to others. That's what I do. That's awesome. Right? Um, and what, I'm, what do I mean by that? If I can add look, this podcast, right? We're not getting paid for this kind of stuff. But you know what? What's really important here is that if I can actually help one person based on something that Doug said or I say that can really affect them. Because really, if you think about my voice journey that I was telling you before about Doug, is the fact that mm -hmm. if I can have my voice heard, your voice heard, but also help our listeners develop their skills and their capabilities as leaders to increase their voice as a leader, then, yeah. then I'm very happy. That's what it's all about. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and I think that's really the right way to be looking at it, you know, because, and again, if you are not concerned about getting an immediate payback on your effort, um, the value to you will come. It will come eventually, and it will come from a place that you completely don't weren't expecting. But the you know the 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 payout, the payback will come, uh, and it's that that that's hard for people to see. It's hard for me to see. But I think what's really important is to well is what's really important is kind of two things. A is that you know if you're really value motivated to create value, irregardless of whether you get paid for it right now. But B is to you have to believe that you have to consistently believe that the value you create will be returned to you because it will. But if you don't believe, then you'll quit before you get to that point. Now, Doug, you, you and I, you know, being in leadership roles before, but I don't know about you, but I've, I've had people come to me two, three, five years later and go, mm -hmm. you know, you said this to me one day and that inspired me so much. I went off and did this. I didn't know I was saying that at the time. And it's um it's really interesting to see it uh, how it all plays out. And um, going back mm -hmm. to what you're saying about the corporate world, when I started um, in an IT company, and then later on we were bought out by EDS, right, which was uh, from Dallas, uh, from Plano, mm -hmm. Texas, Ross Perot's yep. organization at that time. And um, Texas, best country in the world. Right, that's if, if I was moving <laughs> to the US, that's where I would be going. <laughs> Um, uh, I have friends from Texas. They, they 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 all think of Texas like it's its own country. Yeah. Well, actually, okay. It's the world, I, actually. I, but let, not... let me say that again. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, no, they think of Texas as the world, and Dallas as a country, Austin as a country, San Antonio as a country, and Houston as a country. Yep, there you go. And everything else doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, and, and nothing else right, matters. Right, yes, I get that, it. That is that that is precisely the uh, description of everyone I know from Texas. <laughs> So when I when I first started that graduate program and I was there, I looked at guys around me in their forties, fifties, and sixties, and I thought to myself, that scared me. I, I, I that's not where I want to end up in you know in thirty years time or forty years time. And um, the question I got for you here, Doug, is and it's more just bringing things to a wrap for us here today, is that when you did have that leaving the corporate world and starting your own business, did you ever think now, oh, why didn't I start it earlier? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the reason is because I was terrified about losing my corporate salary. Yeah. And, and there is that fear um, thing out there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to say to listeners here who are listening to this today, there are people in jobs today who are bored, who are not adding any value, but are taking their monthly salaries. And I'm going to say to you listeners, if you're somebody like myself or Doug, and you know that you've got a lot of talent and you've got a lot of experience and you can add value somewhere else, then seriously go and look at going somewhere else if you need to, whatever that means. Because as Doug said, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be packaged a little bit different than you're actually thinking today. Well, and, and I, I'm actually going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to raise the bar a little bit on what you said. And be, so, because my view, and this is something that I've been, I've been really been internalizing and thinking about a lot lately, but is that, you know, if you have talents and abilities that are of legitimate value to other people, you have a moral duty to bring that out to the world. If you hold that inside, you are actually uh, you, 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 you are actually performing, in my view, an immoral act because you are preventing the world from experiencing the value that you have to provide. And if you think about it that way, then it I'm not gonna say it takes the pressure off because there's pressure. But when you think when you stop thinking about it from a hey, this is something I'm like I'd like to do, it is but you know, but think of it, no, you actually have a moral duty to bring your value to the world if you have something of value to contribute. Now there are some some people who don't. Um I happen to think it's a comparative minority of people, but there's there's some people who either don't or won't. And if that's the case, it's what it is. But if you do have that and if you do have that ability, desire and skill to contribute, then you have a duty to do so in my view. I totally agree. And you know when I went through the voice thing and the tumor, uh it was a mate of mine who turned around and said to me, "Dean, don't die with the music in you still." And yes. that was exactly it. Yes. And it's and I think it's sometimes that some people you saying moral responsibilities and things like that. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And it's uh, sometimes you know yes. don't be selfish. Go and share it with the world. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, and 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 again, you know, at the um, uh, you know, at the you know, at, at the risk of of implementing of bringing religion into the conversation, uh, I only say this because a few weeks ago uh, I was watching the Ten Commandments on television, yeah. and you know, you, you okay, you you think about all right, so you have you know, you know, Moses, he crosses the desert, and you know, he's you know, he's like, okay, you know, I I want to go see God, and then he sees God, and God's like, okay, you need to go to Egypt and deliver my people out to me. What's the difference? Well, on one is like, okay, Moses, like, I want to do this thing. And another one is, no, I have a moral duty to deliver God's people to his promised land. They're different. They're, they're at different levels of motivation. You know, when, you know, when you believe that you have a moral, you know, that, that moral duty, it puts a different spin on Beautiful. That's really, really cool. Well, Doug, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Uh, sure. So my, my website is just terminalvalue.biz, T-E-R-M-I-N-A-L-V-A-L-U-E.B-I-Z. And my podcast is at terminalvaluepodcast.com or just go onto iTunes or Spotify and look up Terminal Value. Uh, you'll see a microphone with a little upward arrow on it. Excellent. Doug, hey, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on today's Yeah, it's episode. been great. Thank you. All right, listeners, there you go. You have a moral responsibility to go out and do and add value to the world on something that you're wanting to do by going out and creating value. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released, download them, 
have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. If there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 